Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Don't Miss This. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. So glad y'all are here for our lesson today that's on 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. It's the whole Bible in one video. <laughs> that's what we, we feel did. like. <laughs> when we you? opened it up and saw what it was, we both groaned because we were like, there's no way. So just put your pajamas on right now, get your dinner, and also your midnight snack, because that's how long we're going to be here. <laughs> Hopefully just not. Kidding. Listen, we can't because the Astros are playing tonight in one hour. So we Which is why he is wearing this atrocious ring, everybody. Uh, I believe the word you meant was amazing ring. <laughs> Listen, I have to wear this on game day <laughs> or they won't win. And my socks. Are, I told him he could wear Astro it on his socks. toe while we were recording, but he said... Nope, they'll lose, and it Sorry. would be her fault, and then our friendship would break up. And then there wouldn't be any more don't miss this. <laughs> so you have to watch it the whole time. And please, sorry if you're from New York, but God bless the Houston Astros. Go Red Sox. So, remember last week when you wanted the position <laughs> that runs everywhere on the yeah. field, the mascot? Yeah. Yes. Okay. No, no one, I don't want to be the mascot, actually. <laughs> I'm glad you just said that. That's the, what I want to be. These letters, um, are they're, they're just shorter letters. All of them are from prison. Paul's. These are all prison letters again. Um, Timothy. Paul. I know. He just spends his whole life in jail, which actually comes up as part of the letters. Um, it's the second letter to Timothy where Paul actually asks Timothy to come back. And a lot of people started abandoning Paul and started thinking he's not an apostle. Um, his message must not be true because he's in jail. And he um, just, he uses the story of Jesus as his defense and just says, well, he was arrested and, and died as a criminal and buried in a borrowed tomb. And so, you know, that, that would not be a, that would not be a reason that somebody's message is, is not true. Hard times in your life does not indicate that you are not doing what God wants you to do. And I think that's a really important lesson and kind of countercultural mm -hmm. to what a lot of people believe. So, um, these, these are, because he has started these, you know, churches everywhere and he's in jail, he can't go. And so he's sending Timothy and Titus and these are fellow missionaries with him. They spent a lot of years planting the churches with him, starting these little branches of the church. And now they're kind of going out for and behalf of him. At least that's the case with Titus and Timothy. The other letter, um, Philemon, we want to say Philemon. Let's we just do. say it right now. And we might it's, by yeah. accident because we call him Philemon, but... People who know about the Bible want to call him Philemon. Philemon. I call him Phil. <laughs> it's so, really hard. Yeah. So he's a little different, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But these other two, they're just Paul sending them. Uh, Timothy is going to Ephesus, I think, to go kind of handle some of the problems there and uh, because Paul can't go. And then Titus goes to the uh, the island of Crete, and, and everyone wants to go there. about Timothy is it's a little bit a call to arms. Um, and you hear that language as we're going through, I love that part of Timothy. So kind of be watching for this call to arms. Uh, and it, and it's a, a call to arms against um, deception. 
and against apostasy and something mm-hmm. like that. Paul's saying like, look, we got, we have to fight back. If we're not fighting for our converts, if we're not fighting for the truth, then we're going to lose the battle. So that's, that's the reason for the that there's this encouraging call. And you love, we're just going to show you a couple things in chapter one, because we're going to really spend most of our time in, I mean, Phil. in letter <laughs> one of Timothy, first Timothy, even though, yeah. So there's first Timothy. I'm going to give you one part that I can't resist it because it's so good. Then we're going to go to second Timothy. So in chapter four, he kind of expresses what the problem is. And he says, now the spirit speaketh expressly. That what in, verse? Oh, four, one. Good. Good reminder. Um, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and false doctrines is what um, the footnote will tell us those words are. Um, which I love about that, that it sounds so much like our day. So Timothy becomes such a great book for our day. I also love that um, a lot of Bible scholars talk about this is counsel for youth. This is a call to arms for the youth of the church. And as you think about the young single adults and the youth, there are just so many things in here that pertain. But one of the things that Paul says to Timothy that we're going to really jump into in 2 Timothy is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. And he says to Timothy, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands. And we're going to talk for a minute about that gift, about what our gifts look like, that in this time, in this call to arms, in this time when a lot of people were leaving, Paul's counsel was, look at the gifts that have been given you. And that's what you're going to use. Don't neglect those gifts. Use those gifts for the building up of the kingdom of God and then to be able to move this work forward. And I love the verse right after verse 15. And he, and he actually counsels him to meditate upon those gifts. Like think about those gifts and then give yourself wholly to them. Right? To embrace the gifts that you've been given and, and, and to mm-hmm. use them. I love that idea of like... You know, don't just neglect it, but give yourself wholly to whatever gift that is that you that you have. And embrace that. Fill your time with it. Use it and to meditate bless. Yeah. on it. I love that he wants him to meditate and just think about what it is. So that might be something you want to try out this week is just stopping to think, what are my gifts? And for your kids, what are their gifts? And take some time to meditate on what those are and then set some goals for how to make sure you're not neglecting those gifts that you've been given. And before we jump into Second Timothy, let's because this will be cool to do both of them. I think together is one of the ways. If you're like, well, how do I discover what my gifts are? We've talked about that in previous um, lessons before, but in this one, First Timothy four, he says, "This neglect not the gift, whatever it was that was given to thee by the hand of prophecy with the laying on of hands." That sometimes with a particular blessing that we mm-hmm. get, or or even with a particular calling that we might have that's official by the laying on of hands, a gift will be given to us. And, and I think that's neat that he says, meditate on that particular gift that was, you know, given bes- to you. bestowed and given to you. A patriarchal I, blessing right. also oh, yeah. is something you want to be thinking about when you're reading that Because on laying on of hands. I do want to say this. I just got a, a setting apart blessing on Sunday. And my favorite part of it was um, the person giving the blessing said at the very end, you know, this is kind of typical, but like, and I bless you with any other gift you know, that God um, wants to give you. And then he added this line, just because he loves you. Oh, and it, uh, it's the favorite part so of the whole awesome. blessing, you know? Yes, so, that's so Okay, good. and now let's look at this other part with that gift. Okay, this is so really he's, cool. Paul just keeps talking about this gift of Timothy's. So we're going to have you turn to Second Timothy now, right in the first chapter. And he's going to bring 
up that thought of that gift. Again, that same gift. He doesn't want him to neglect. And he's going to say in verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. There's so many awesome things in that in those couple verses that we just want to talk about for a quick second. But one of my favorite is the fact that this was a gift that wasn't unique to Timothy, but it was a gift that had been seen in his mother and also in his grandmother. So as you're thinking about your gifts, you might go through your patriarchal blessing. You might think of other blessings you've had recently. Maybe you had a back to school blessing or um, if you haven't had a blessing recently, maybe you'll ask for one. And listen carefully for that, but then also the advice to look at your mom and your grandma or maybe your, your dad and your grandpa, the people in your family who might have had a specific gift. In Timothy's family, that gift was faith. Um, his grandma had a great amount of faith and then his um, mom did and he had that same faith. It was something that had been passed down it would be really interesting to take a few minutes and just think, what might you have that would be a similar gift? Yeah, and not just faith. I love that it's this unfeigned faith. Yes. It's not where they have this trust. Remember, trust is such a great, you know, they're persuaded over to Jesus and, and it's not fake. It's mm -hmm. just this real genuine trust in in God. And it's, it's a beautiful, I like when people ask, um, someone even asked me today, like, are you more like your mom or are you more like your dad? You know, people kind yeah. of will say that, where did this come from you? Did it come from your mom or did it come from your dad? And I love thinking about that. That could be a cool thing to actually mm -hmm. think about, you know, what gifts do your parents, grandparents have that you may have, you know, inherited? Isn't yeah. that fun to think So like? fun to think about. I just think it would be such a great conversation to be thinking of stories of them or things you love about them and how you see that manifest in your own life. And then talking about it, I think will stir it up in you. Mm -hmm. Like he says in six, yes. that's cool. Stir up that gift. Yeah. Instead of neglecting, right. he wants you to stir up. And I think just this, a simple conversation among mm -hmm. a family or a group of friends could stir that up. I mean, yeah. does it stir it up in you if someone's like, you've got this gift? Yes. It kind of just like and stirs like, it up in you. I want to think more about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's a neat thing. Um, one thing that I love about Paul is he really wants us to understand the importance of women in our lives and how women teach. Um, it's interesting that in a, a church situation where mostly the men were the teachers and, and were running the church, that he says to Timothy, who is a, a young boy and then a man, what I, the gift I want you to recognize isn't something that had been handed down in a patriarchal fashion but in a matriarchal fashion. It was a gift that he had been given and taught by his mother. You read other places in Timothy that his mom and his grandma used to sit with him and read scriptures to him and teach scripture to him. So I just love the thought of that. And we see that theme continued in Titus chapter two. Um, Titus is gonna go through and he's gonna talk about what members of the church should look like um, in order to help build the church. And he's going to talk about the men and the women and the um, young women and the young men. Um, he just goes through and wants to give them advice. And there's some advice in here that I just love. In T Titus 2, verse 3, it says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, but teachers of good things, 
that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste. I love this next word, keepers at home. Good, obedient to their husbands. Um, I just love that list of what would a righteous woman have looked like and the thought of those elder women taking the time to teach the younger women what those traditions of faith looked like, what those holiness rhythms would have been in their life. I just, I love the thought of that passing down from generation to generation, kind of that same thing that he's mentioning in Timothy. Yeah, and then again in the next verse, he's like, and then and then the young men also, and it kind of moves on. And, and you get that a lot throughout these books because Timothy was traditionally younger. You know, Paul talks about him being this younger person and, and Titus maybe also a younger leader in the church. And here's Paul who's had all this experience now, you know, mentoring them mm-hmm. and teaching them like, look, this is how you live, yeah. you know, this life of faith. Um, in, in kind of contrast, um, unfortunately, there was this group of women who were in the church in Ephesus who were causing a lot of trouble. And uh, Paul kind of talks about that a little bit in 2 Timothy 3 and, and gives this list, you know. He mentions the women, but there are also the men in the other chapters that he mentions. Um, but we like that contrast between these women who pass down, you know, these patterns of mm-hmm. grace and rhythms of holiness and then in contrast to this other group. But 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, you've read this before. We just say, here's, here's sort of the danger of the world that you live in. He says that in verse 1. In the last days, it's going to be really dangerous. And let me tell you why. Because people are going to be um, covetous and proud and unthankful. And, and he moves through all the thing. And, and that phrase, silly women, in verse 6, that's what he calls mm-hmm. those. <laughs> those ladies who are leading people kind of in, in, in that line. But I love that he says this in verse 7, talking about that group. He's like, this is a group that's ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hmm. That they don't, they, they're filled with the things of the world but not necessarily the things uh, as they truly are. And, and that's kind of the, the difference between those. Paul would say reality is good works, you know, mm-hmm. love, like obedience. Like that's, that's real. That's real living. Not this other kind that, is so, that can be so popular in and the world around you. And he's going to go through and talk to them a lot about um, not only how they act, but even how they look is going to affect what happens within the church community that he wants them to be um, these women who aren't so busy adorning themselves with fancy things but really are learning how um, to be these women described in Titus. Yeah, yeah. And he uses the phrase, don't adorn yourself. Don't be sorry about clothing yourself with fancy jewels, but clothe mm-hmm. yourself with charity and clothe yourself with hospitality and, and goodness and grace and yeah. all of those things. So we love that there's like this, you see kind of just like it's a call to arms because mm-hmm. there's just these two kind of forces, you know, that are at, at odds with each other. And Paul, throughout the whole, both of these letters, all three of these letters, gives um, a whole bunch of advice. And we just filled this box with a bunch of our favorites. You'll find and some actually, more. And actually, before we go there, let's show them that other reference here. So we've got in 2 Timothy oh, 3, 1 through 7. Yeah. And then the other reference for the women is in 1 Timothy Um, chapter 2 and it's going to start in verse 9 he's going to describe what he wants the women to look like and um, be like and and kind of think about that because he's asking them to do that we are assuming that isn't necessarily what was happening in the church so you're going to see um, what what the silly women look like and what his counsel was for them in helping to overcome 
what that looks like. And when you read that, it'll follow up with those lines that trouble people again about women should be silent. And he's talking, a lot of people think he's talking particularly to that group. Obviously, he doesn't mean all women because he praises them. But when you read that, don't take it out of context that he's saying, and this group of women, they are they were actually trying to hijack the church mm-hmm. and, and take over. And he's like, they, they should not. They should be, <laughs> they, they should they be quiet, to, you yeah. know. And, and to remember that sometimes silence is a quiet confidence and it's just learning the right time to be sharing and and doing those things so do remember whenever you read that in other places we have heard paul talking about the power of women teaching and leading out and that is his opinion so because this is out of character that's why it is assumed he's talking to these women particular women Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, well, just real and quick wait, on this box. Yeah, this yeah. one. We have to do this one. Um, it's so good. Just, this is his advice. In a world that's kind of like, we've got two groups of people. You could fall in one or fall into the other. And, and, and they're trying to win people over from this group, you know, into the, you know, Titus and, and Timothy. Not Paul's not only saying, like, I, I want you to be people like this, but please go and try and win people over to living this. He keeps calling it a new humanity to be a part of the new family of Christ, not this this worldly family. And so he gives some advice, some practical advice for all these letters and in, it's not in ways to do that. practical either. Um, it's like a locker room speech, everyone. There's yeah. a couple, isn't it? It's like halftime. You want to go in there and, um, I mean, there's practicality in there, but you just love when he's going through and he's like, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell him. Fight the good fight and yeah, yeah. Um, all these like you. We should send him into someone's halftime. That's what <laughs> we should do. Like to read you the book of Timothy. Because <laughs> Paul's at the end of his life, and that great verse, you know, about, I fought the good fight and I've and I've stayed the course. You know, these letters really are the last ones that Hebrews most people think comes from Paul, but these are really our last ones that we mm-hmm. maybe should say something about how awesome it's been to be with Paul and. And, and to see his, yeah. you know, writings and everything. But we love that line where he says, I fought the good fight and I've, I've kept the faith, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that what a mentor he is to these others. And almost like he's handing on the baton, you know, to them. Yeah. And he's saying, now, now you run your leg of the race. And how neat for the, the scriptures to be that, you know, for all of us. At the end of that Second Timothy 3, he even gives that sort of advice. Remember where he says, Continue in the things which you've learned. This is verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, um, that you've been assured of. Um, from a child you've known or the Greek have known there has been acquainted with, like a good friend, the Holy hmm. Scriptures. And they've made you wise to salvation in Christ. He's like, hold on to those, to those truths. When I hand this baton over to you, you know you've, you've been acquainted with these truths your whole life. Now just run with them. You know, with, with all the fervor of your soul, run. You know, so. Yeah, so good. And one of my favorite parts, um, because it does just make me think again of the halftime speech. Um, I love when he's talking about in Second Timothy 4. I really want you to go give a halftime speech I, to a team. I want to. Listen, I begged to do it last week for the Broncos. No one will let me down there. Their third quarter is always, they just come out so slow. I'm like, listen, what you are doing is not working. Let me. Yeah. Go. I think I'd be good. You could be good. At halftime speeches? Yeah. And well, you know some of the football positions, which is good. Yeah, like three. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll be fantastic. Um, I love when he says this in Second Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. You could just feel the enthusiasm in there. He's going to be one of those great speeches you watch on all those 
sports movies, you know, Miracle or whatever. Everyone wants to quote this. You add Paul. He starts out, I charge thee, right? He's like coming at it. And then I love when he talks about be instant in season. And again, just the thought of that, um, Garrett is fully in his season right now. And there are certain things he just does. And he is on his game. And he, he says all the time to us as he's preparing for a game, when it is time to prepare for the game, we're all just sitting around in the family room. And he'll look at all of this and say, I'm going in game mode. And then from that moment on, it is game mode for the next couple hours. And there is just a certain thing that happens. Um, because he's serious about it. He's instant, right? He's He knows what he's doing. And I just love the thought that when you think about people who play sports, there are superstitions they have, like your ring. <laughs> and Garrett has certain patterns. He does exactly the same every single time without fail. He is instant in season. And I just love this. And then Paul says in verse 5, make full proof of thy ministry. And I just love that there is no holding back in this speech. He is um, he is giving them everything he has at the end before he's done. And just with all the enthusiasm of a coach at halftime, that's yeah. just what you have to imagine. Yeah. And, and Paul makes a great coach because he's one who's been in a championship game before, you know, so he passes on this baton and there's not a person on earth who, who would, who would say that Paul was not a valiant soldier for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's just like, when, when he, when he gives that, make full proof of, of, of your ministry. He's like, I've been there. I've done it. I know what it's like. Make sure there's no doubt in people's mind, the side you, you stand on. Yeah. So there, we would talk forever about this list of scriptures, but we have to go on to this next yeah, one because it it's so our much. favorite one in the mm-hmm. whole wide Bible. And, and, um, <laughs> And so just look through all of those are just really good phrases throughout the entire thing. Okay, so um, next is this letter of Philemon. I forgot what we're supposed to call him, (laughs) Phil. Here's Phil's letter. Um, It's the shortest one that Paul writes, but it probably has the biggest punch. And you may have never heard it taught in your life before because the only two people in the entire world I have ever (laughs) met who love this book is us. Right <laughs> what, you, what were you going to say? You uh, these say, two. Oh. <laughs> it's these two. But then I'm like, well, it's us. Yeah. Everyone. Um, and Philemon is the shortest book in all of scripture. It is just one little page. It's on the opposite side of Hebrews. It's just right here. And um, you we're probably glanced here. at it. Maybe you've never read a verse in here, but I promise you are about to love every verse in this entire letter. If you looked at mine, it couldn't get any redder than it is. So what we're going to do, I love this. Here comes the story. Remember Onesimus, who we told you to remember Onesimus? Um, the story could be called Onesimus as much as it could be called Philemon. Yeah. Um, and so we wrote the story of Onesimus because you're about to love him, but everyone. And we just wanted to start out with the cast of characters. So in this story, there's three people you need to know. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. And we know everything we want to know about Paul. Well, we want to know more, but yeah. we won't find out till heaven. Um, but Philemon, what you need to know is this. He is a man who owns a great deal of property. He's, he's somebody who manages a lot of land or a, farms or yeah, whatever Greek, it was. He's a Greek convert to the church and a lot of money. Yep. That's just perfect. And because of that, him. he had servants that worked for him. And Onesimus happened to be one of his servants. And we don't know a lot about what happened. We don't have any idea what the story was. But for some reason, Onesimus left Philemon 
And it sounds like from the letter that not, like, maybe he abruptly left. Maybe he ran away. Or stole something from him. Yeah, he, or he kind there, of left something... him in a bind. You just, there's something unresolved. Something that would need forgiveness. Yes. So, it, it's, but no, no details on it. And we also know Onesimus maybe was not the best character because somehow he ends up in prison. <laughs> and how we know that is because that is where he ends up meeting Paul is in prison. So while Paul is in prison, he meets Onesimus. And Onesimus serves his time, and when he is done, and he gets out, this is one of my favorite parts of the story, the very first thing Paul has him do is deliver a letter because that's what Paul does. He has people deliver letters. But where he's gonna send Onesimus back to is Philemon, the man he has wronged. And there's an important lesson there that, that part of his um, reconciliation or his um, repentance process is he has to go and make right what he had wronged. And I love imagining in my mind Onesimus walking back to the place that he left in not very good terms. And maybe Philemon is out working in the fields and he looks up and he sees someone coming and he's like, who is that? And then as he starts getting closer, He knows who it is. And I just want you to think for a minute, what are the thoughts in his mind and his heart? Um, Maybe think about someone who has wronged you. And if they were on their way to your house and you looked out the window and saw them coming, what's your first thought in that moment? And imagine if you're Onesimus. I was going to say, if you're on his side and you're like, I mean, everybody here has probably had to approach somebody and, and, and know like, I have to go reconcile this. I have to go apologize. I have to go be vulnerable. I have to go be humble. And just that walk or that phone dial or whatever it is. And you is don't like, know what the person's going to do. Yeah. You don't know how they're going to react. You just, it's just such a, that there's so much emotion so in that yeah. moment. And then you love that Onesimus probably doesn't even say anything. He just hands him a letter. He's like, <laughs> just like here. and then Philemon opens it up and he looks down and he sees it's signed by Paul and he knows Paul and he loves Paul and and he trusts him and so then he's like okay let me read the letter and then wait until you hear what the letter says and you love that Paul in that you know he says here's it's me Paul the old Paul the prisoner, Paul, you know, like he's just like all the reasons that you have to to listen. And I I just want to throw this in right before we start the letter in case I forget that this whole idea of him sending um, Onesimus back, he just knows that if there is a a relationship that has to be mended, like that your spirituality just feels halted. And Mm -hmm. he just knows that. He's just like, we cannot have relations like relationships like this in the family of Christ. Like we are one in him mm-hmm. and, and we share the gift of Christ together as a people. And it just doesn't fit to have these, you know. Yeah, contention. Right, with each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that he just sees that and knows that. Okay, so here's the letter. So you he's going to start out. We're going to pause at some of our favorite parts. I'll read and you just stop me whenever you want to. Okay. So um, he starts out. This is the top of the letter. And it says, for love's sake... It starts in verse 9. Yeah, in verse 9. For love's sake, I beseech thee, for my son Onesimus, 
whom I have begotten in my bonds, right? Because Philemon's going to be like, that is not your son. Yeah. But it's like Paul adopted him in prison, that he's like, I'm, I'm bringing him into my family. That's how much I love him. Like Meaning like I'm the one who brought him to the story of Christ and the rescue of Christ. And so he's like, he's kind of my my child in, you know, in the faith. And then he says to him, which in time past was to you unprofitable. So he totally acknowledges, I know the history here. I know what's happening, but now he's profitable to you and to me. So you just got to trust me. He's about to be profitable to both of us whom I have sent. You therefore receive him. That is my own bowels or as one of my own. Is what he's telling him. I want you to receive him as one of my own children. That's what I'm expecting from you. And then um, in verse 16, he tells him how... Or 13, so fine, because he's like, I would have kept him with me oh. because he's such a good minister of the gospel. Like, almost like uh, Philemon wouldn't have believed this. He's like, you, I really wanted him to stay yeah. because he's doing such good work. But I knew... He could do to, good work for yeah, the whole and, church. And we had to reconcile this, yeah. both those reasons. Um, so he says in verse 16, I, I want you to receive him. And then he says in verse 16, not as a servant, but above a servant as a brother beloved. Mm -hmm. Now we want to pause for a minute and just, there is so much to be learned from that one verse, which is always true about scripture. Sometimes you just think about one verse. So the first thing we want you to think about is what is the difference between a servant and a brother in those days? What, what, do, what would it look like when you think about a servant? Where would a servant have slept? Where would a servant have eaten, taken their meals? Uh, what would they have worn? We learn a little bit about that from the prodigal. I was going to say, when the boy comes back and he wants to remember in the prodigal son, he, I, let me be as a servant. And the father's like, no, 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 no. We, 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 you'll wear the robe and you'll wear the rings. You're an heir. And you're going to wear shoes. And, yeah, and there will be a party for you, like at, at our expense. And so... It's different. Like there was just a different relationship. Like because a, a brother would yeah. sleep in the house, eat at the table, eat at the table, right? Um, did wear the nice clothes. Um, that's true. So he's he's asked Paul's asking Philemon to look at this man who has wronged him and not just take him back into his original place in the household, but actually exalt him yeah which would have been really kind and christian of philemon to do right because he was a servant he went less than a servant because he's an escapee he's a fugitive servant now so if you were to even bring him back to servant level that would be really kind and so paul's it's a big ask mm -hmm. not just where he was not just forgiveness but forgiveness plus yeah. you know like that is this. this is, yeah. <laughs> that's why he just handed him the letter. Yeah. He's like, Paul says to take me back. <laughs> Paul says, I'm like, I can't even explain this to you in my own words. You are not going to believe it. Um, it's like when kids, like mom said I could go. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, and you also love in verse 16, this part when he says, not as a servant, but above a servant, as a brother beloved. Now, just think for a minute. We're going to go back. Remember Acts 9. Remember when there's Paul and Ananias on the other side of the door and he's going to have to go in and there's that same kind of situation. Like Paul knows the awkwardness of the situation. Yeah, he knows the vulnerability. There. He been has been there. there. He's been in Onesimus's shoes. Mm. He knows exactly what it feels like. And it lets you know that in that moment, do you remember when Ananias comes in and he lays his hand on Paul's head 
And the first thing he calls him of anything he could have called him is brother. Remember, brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you. Um, and when Paul retells his story again in Acts 22, he also does not leave out um, when he, all those years later, when he recounts it, he's like, I want you to remember that Ananias called me brother. It is almost as if he's saying, let me tell you what changed my whole life was my identity in Jesus and my identity with my with other Christian brothers mm -hmm. and sisters. Like that was such a powerful turning yeah. point for him that he's like, this meant everything to me for a stranger, someone I had wronged to receive me as a brother. And, and now to he's, call me yeah. brother, to actually call me brother. And you love that that's his counsel. That he's like, hey, this is how this is gonna go. This will only work. It, 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 this is the mending balm mm -hmm. of the situation is to call him and love him. As not just a brother, not at the table, yeah. but the seat right next to you at the table, yes. a beloved brother. Yes. Right? I want you to be the favorite brother mm -hmm. now. Yes. Oh, I love that part so much. And then um, he says to him, a brother beloved, especially to me. And then he tells him this, receive him as myself. Which makes us realize how good of friends Paul and Philemon are. And, and that he envisions, I want you to be as excited and happy to see him. As, and take as good of care of him as you would take of me. Yeah, because if Paul came to the house, I mean, if you had like one of the quorum of the 12 coming to visit your house, you're not busting out the Kraft mac and cheese, you know, <laughs> for them. Like you're going to put out the nice dishes. And yes. like, I want you to act like, you know, put a mint on the pillow, you know, for him. Like yes. this is like, treat him the way you would treat me if I came. Like, yeah. I love this. And then Paul probably knows that this is a hard pill to swallow. Like he's, he's imagining in his head when Philemon gets to this part, what's he going to be thinking? And so he says to him in um, verse 18, if he hath wronged you or he owes you anything, put it on my account. I will repay it. Mm -hmm. um, and then he says, yay, brother, let me have joy in you. In verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. I love that part. Sometimes I want, when you think about exact obedience, and we've talked about that a little bit here, but sometimes I want to say the definition for exact obedience is this first. Having confidence that you will actually do more than I say. Yeah. And I love in that verse 20, that line, refresh my bowels in the Lord or refresh my heart in the mm -hmm. Lord. You, when, isn't it true that whenever you hear a story of someone acting this way, of somebody like forgiving out, out of, you know, mm -hmm. in a radical way, receive, loving somebody in a way that they don't deserve, it really refreshes your heart for mm -hmm. the Lord. Like it just inspires you. And, and Paul's like, Philemon, refresh my heart in the Lord by the way that you treat him. Yes. Like it, it will bring a lot of the spirit of God into, into, the, into our community into our relationship as, as you do this. It's just beautiful. And there is this one cute part in verse 19 when he says, if, listen, I'm writing this with my own hand. If he owes you anything, I will repay it. And then sometimes you just love Paul because he throws these one-liners in that you're like, and he says, although I'm not going to remind you how you already owe me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Besides that, that is besides the point. But you just love this, um, that, just that little that part of Paul that you just see his personality come through. And then um, I love when he says, also, prepare me also a lodging 
For I trust that through your prayers, I will be given unto you. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to come right on the hills of Onesimus. Yeah. Love that. I'll just be right behind him. We'll have dinner all together. Yeah. And then you have to love that he ends it by the whole letter, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, as you make a decision in how you're going to move forward, I hope first that the grace of Jesus Christ um, affects, inspires your mm -hmm. spirit, like that you would remember his grace, his grace before because, before yeah. you act, before you act, I want you to remember how he's been to you. And mm -hmm. then in that spirit, with that motivation, now approach Onesimus. And you love because we've experienced grace. We then know how to give grace. And remember right. at the end of the Book of Mormon, um, I can't remember if it's Mormon or Moroni who says, I prayed unto the Lord that he would give them grace that they might have charity. charity. That there's something that happens within that cycle. Um, as we think about this, I think it. Um, what I love about this letter is it, it leaves us hanging. We're totally left hanging. Like we're like, what happened? What did Philemon do? Like, yeah. where's the end of the story? And I love that it, he leaves you in this place of like, well, what would I do? Mm -hmm. And then to think to yourself one step further, what should I do? And so as we end, we just want to give you an invitation. This is a hard one. You might want to push stop right now on the video if you're not up for a challenge. <laughs> give him a halftime talk. Hurry before we give the challenge. Be good soul. Well, I, we'll say this before the challenge. <laughs> Let me say this. We'll say this. Um, this is the only book in, in all of Paul's writings that does not mention um, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, his, 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 his great act of grace and love and goodness is the only one. Hmm. Um, and it's because um, you see it played out. Yes. Like it's played out instead of him mentioning like what, instead of him saying what Jesus did, he says, let me show you a type of what, what Jesus, like. what, what it actually looks like. Um, and, and this is a lesson in forgiveness and how grace works and how charity works. That's what this is a lesson in. And Because even all the lines in there where he's just like, remember what I've done for you before you, mm -hmm. you know, remember, you know. Yes. Think about, and it's know. And it's so easy, and this is going to be part of the challenge, to remove Philemon and to remove Onesimus and to remove uh, Paul. Paul out of the story. And that's what we want you to do. We want you to think for a <laughs> you minute. You almost removed Jesus. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, like everybody, don't do it. <laughs> um, we want you to think of someone who maybe you need to reconcile with. Um, or someone who maybe needs that reconciliation from you, that forgiveness from you. Um, just think for a minute of, of who that is. And as you think about the one who needs to ask forgiveness from you, and how you would anticipate that situation. It's interesting, uh, I had the opportunity this week to go and speak at the prison. And um, as I was preparing for that, the woman who worked there said, one of the things the men struggle the most with is they're worried their families will never be able to forgive them. Mm. That they won't ever be accepted back in. And as I thought about that, I thought that is so true. And and some of that is real, right? There's some about boundaries and about keeping yourself safe and as you're thinking through those things, but then there's also that fear of going through that change and that repentance and really being able to come back and, and ask for that forgiveness in a sincere situation and the spirit knows 
how to help you know which one is right in that moment. And but then how scary to think like, I have made such a, you know, in the moments when I've made such a change and to think, what if I, what if no one accepts me back? Mm -hmm. And, and you can't help but feel like, you can't help but like reflect what's happening to you among other people as how God feels about you. Yes. You know, like if, if a person forgives me, it's so much easier for me to feel like God has forgiven me. If a person rejects me, it's harder to Mm -hmm. feel like God has forgiven me and people rejected me. Like there is something that connects someone to to God in an intimate way when you forgive. And it's so hard to be the one on the other end. Um, I once had a bishop teach me and I thought this was so good that grace through the atonement is just as important for the one who needs to repent as it is for the one who needs to forgive. And sometimes the process of forgiveness is as intense and as emotional as the process of repentance forgiven. should be. Yeah. yeah, and just to think of the weight of that. And so as you think about someone who maybe needs you to extend forgiveness in their life, we want you to imagine that person. And we want you to imagine that that person is going to walk up to you with a letter in hand. And you're going to open that letter, and when you look at the bottom, it's going to be signed by Jesus. And then you're going to start reading that letter, and maybe this is what the letter is going to sound like. For love's sake, I beseech you for this person, which in time past to you was unprofitable, but now is about to be profitable to you and me, I have sent them, thou therefore receive them as one of my own, um, not as a servant, but above a servant, as a, as a brother beloved, especially to me, receive him as myself. And if he hath wronged you, or if he owes you anything, put that on my account, I will repay it. Let me have joy in you having confidence in your obedience, knowing that you will also do more than I say, and prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. And then maybe it just says at the bottom, in grace, Jesus. And when you think of someone approaching um, with that recommendation, with that letter from Jesus, there is just a softening that takes place. There's something about knowing if that person has wronged you, that Jesus is going to repay that. He's going to make that right. That Mm -hmm. um, there is justice in the fact that you will be given what you deserved. And Jesus is the one who's going to make sure that that happens. And for him to recognize in that letter, uh, because God knows the hurt that it's been, the betrayal that you felt and the that it's not easy. It's not. A de- it's not a demand. You know. It's an mm-hmm. invitation, and and he, it's it's a a, be- a pleading, because he realizes how difficult it really is. Mm-hmm. You know. It's not just a. So and I love that part. I love that he knows. Uh, he knows the ask. He knows. Um, he knows what he's how asking. Hard how hard that hard is to ask be. that. Right. Yeah. Right. Or to be on both sides. He knows. Jesus is one who's been betrayed also, you know, and uh, he's, he's, he's been sold out by those who were closest to him. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm, I've been there. I know what that is like to be in that place. And, and it's, it's just a, 
Oh, this is the yeah. little page. It's just a little page. And I love that one part where he says at the very end, prepare me also lodging. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. And for me, this is one of the most tender parts of this because I've had this experience. I have been given the letter. I have walked through this process over and over again. And what I have learned is that that forgiveness probably didn't come in the moment when he finished reading the letter. That the forgiveness probably took time. That he acted in obedience before the reconciliation came to his heart. And that thought of that when it says, prepare me a lodging because I trust that through your prayers I shall be given to you. Um, for me, going through the process was so many prayers. And it was the prayers that I would be able to have the love of Christ in my heart that he would be given to me because that is the only way I was going to be able to keep moving forward over and over again. And I think that is a sweet promise. I think that mm. is a true promise that as we open up our hearts and are willing to be obedient in this regard, he will be given to us and it is him who will allow the healing and the forgiveness to follow. Yeah. And how much Jesus' spirit just is re-poured into mm -hmm. that. It's worth the. It's worth it because he says, "Then, then grace will be your companion mm. through the whole thing." And remember, grace is not a feeling; it's a person, and it's worth the journey because it's it's time to together. Yeah. It's time with him. And um, if you want to know what grace looks like, this is the this perfect is text. This is this is grace in every form. This is grace. This is what it looks like. Right. So, oh, it was a good week. We made it, How, okay. and we hopefully we weren't four and we a half didn't hours because we thought the time. we might be four well, and a half Astros hours. The Astros game is in half an hour. <laughs> okay. God bless the Astros. Kiss it, everybody. <laughs> this audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.